Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is The Audience Invisible, written by George Plank. around here somewhere. Not under the lampshade. In my shoes? No. Maybe under the coffee table. John? Ah! Oof. Are you okay, buddy? No, Jane. I'm not okay. I've been up since two in the morning, searching. Oh, are you looking for something? Maybe I could pretend to look too. I appreciate your attempt to pretend to help me, Jane, but uh, I didn't misplace anything. Okay. Uh, what are you looking for, then? Microphones. Microphones? Microphones. John, if this is about that podcast that you want to start, then you can forget- First of all, Cataplexy, My Life with Doreen, would be a smash hit. Secondly, I'm not looking for a microphone for me. I'm looking for a microphone for them. Them? Yes, Jane. Them. Aww. You remembered my pronouns. No, I I mean, yes, I'm happy for you. Uh, She, they, right? You got it. Well, for once, this isn't about you, Jane. (laughs) Impossible. I have reason to believe that someone or a group of someones... A group of someones is called a crowd. (laughs) They're listening to our conversations. What? No, don't be silly, John. Do you have any proof? No, but I do have evidence. Have you ever noticed that the stories we get from the benefactors often tie into what's going on in our lives at that particular moment? Don't be paranoid, John. Do you have any idea how long it takes to have something delivered via mail? It would make just as much sense to say that our lives reflect the central theme of whatever story we're reading. None. Now shut up and read this. It just came for you. And what if I don't want to read it? Okay, I'll read it. I lie awake at night staring up at my ceiling. There's a small gray and brown vent near the door to my bedroom. I feel watched. I'll close my eyes for a few seconds and slip ever so close to actual sleep that I swear there's two of me. But then the sound comes again. It's almost imperceptible. If I had anyone I trusted enough to invite over, they would say that they didn't hear anything. And when I ask them to wait and we sit in silence waiting for the sound to happen again, it never would. At least that's how I imagined such an exchange would go. Instead, I'm lying in bed by myself, playing the home game. Every time that shifting comes from the vent, my eyes open and I listen intently. The crickets outside my window cheer me on as I continue to keep an active ear for anything out of the ordinary. And every time I convince myself that I must be imagining things and I close my eyes to allow myself another opportunity to attempt sleep before the shifting vent strikes again and the cycle continues. It wasn't always like this, of course. I used to be successful and sociable. I lived in a small apartment in a big city. It was located less than a block away from a train overpass. The wheels would scrape and clatter over the long-since rusted rails, and the sensation offered me a better concept of time than any clock might have, as every 15 minutes the deepest roaring imaginable would echo from building to building. The ceiling creaked with every footfall of tenants on the next floor up, The radiators hissed and banged in defiance of the steam they were forced to transport. 
and my neighbors were prone to shouting matches in the hallway. I never caught more than a few words at a time. I figured it was none of my business. Despite the constant noise, I never once missed a night's sleep. Same, too, with my late-night excursions. My friends and I were somewhat infamous in the local bar scene following a bar crawl wherein we hopped from establishment to establishment, all the while dressed up like elderly ladies. We proudly paraded ourselves through the city streets, walkers in tow. Not once had a self-conscious thought entered my mind. Even on my quieter nights, I rationalized that people going about at night were just trying to make their way home, or doing the same as us and just looking to have some fun. That's the beautiful thing about the city. If you stick to the main streets, there's enough witnesses around. There is safety in numbers, and I was safe. Same with the apartment. Every bump and thump in the middle of the night could be easily explained away as just another resident going about their lives. And there was some comfort in that. But then I got the call. My mother had fallen off a ladder and was comatose. She was going to be in the hospital for a couple nights. Someone had to look after the house, so I made the trek out west to our family home. It might as well have been a cartoonishly run-down farmhouse with how far it was from everything else. The nearest grocery store was about an hour away, and the neighbors could scarcely be seen past the acres of lawn cut similarly to a mullet. Nice and neat in front of the house, and wild and unkempt for long stretches behind. Some longer blades of grass allowed the wind to blow through it like waves at the beach, furthest place from here and now. I couldn't imagine what I would have done had I been forced to work out here. Perhaps I would have taken residence in the only local fast food restaurant slash ice cream parlor. Thankfully, my job had allowed me to work remote. At least, that was the agreement when I left Fenton. My mother was never the most technologically minded, so it didn't surprise me at all that the first few days were devoted to tracking down a router and installing it. I know she had a landline, so she wasn't completely bereft of the comforts of the modern era. So my days went by as such. I tended to the house, made sure that all the mail got brought in. Two or three times a week, I would drive an hour to the nearest hospital to check in on her, see if she had woken up or if the nurse had any major updates she would like to tell me. I have to cut her short when her idea of an update is that she saw a really good pair of movies over the weekend. I sit and talk to Mom. I don't know if she can hear me, but it helps to pretend that she can. I tell her about my job, my failed relationships. Reminisce about the days when Dad was still with us, and then I gather my things and drive back to the shack. When I went to college, I moved away from home for the first time. I generally enjoyed the freedom that being away from home had afforded me. But most of all, I enjoyed being in a place where I could do things. That's probably what I missed the most about Fenton. Everything I wanted was within walking distance and open late into the night. Now if I want so much as to get some breakfast cereal, I have to drive an hour to the next town over and pray that the person running the store hadn't stepped out for an unforeseeable amount of time. Lately, I'd taken to walking around the property. My steps do well enough to tamp down a bit of the grass grove to create a walkable path along the perimeter. I'm not as familiar with this place as I used to be. Shortly after I moved out, she had repurposed my bedroom into a sort of craft den. So, I'd been living out of the guest room. On the second floor... If you were to take apart my mother's house like a cross-section of a burger, the lowest most layer would be the cellar-slash-cold room. My grandparents had been into canning and pickling, so you might be able to find some jars of preserve down below still. The kitchen, living room, and master bedroom sit comfortably on the second layer. The guest room sits on the second floor with a spare bathroom and the craft room. The only room above those is the attic. 
I remember going up once or twice when I was younger. I assume there isn't much up there. Not since Mom had the shed built. That's where all the Christmas decorations live now. The walks do a lot to help. Since I've been working remotely, I'm cooped up inside all day. Just knowing I can leave helps, even if I can't really leave. Not as long as Mom is in the hospital. Secondly, it lets me work out any extra energy I might have pent up. I hadn't been sleeping all that well, and I wanted to fix that. Most nights, I lie in a bed that I know isn't mine, and I stare up at the ceiling. It's so weird to think about. I spent every night of my life up until the age of 17 in this house, and yet I know so little of the slice of life Mom had carved for herself. Why did she replace my bedroom? I know I wasn't using it anymore, but was the decision to hang fabrics in there an easy one? I may never know. Not until she wakes up. Wake up, Mom. I can't remember what the ceiling looked like in my old room, but my waking moments are dedicated to memorizing the irregular pattern of the popcorn ceiling in the guest room. Sometimes I think I'll count each and every glob of plaster that hangs down like baby stalactites. I wonder if they'll grow long enough to pierce the bed before I'm allowed a full night's sleep. There, a rustling comes from outside the window, and I can feel my heart sink in my chest. I know that it's probably just the wind or maybe an animal of some variety. I think one of the neighbors told me that there were some foxes in the area. It doesn't stop my mind from wandering. The nights where it rains are simultaneously the easiest and the worst. The raindrops gently wrap against the window pane, and I know exactly what it is, but that never stops my mind from wandering. The beating without rhythm could be mere precipitation, but in my mind, it could just as easily be an intruder testing the windows to see if anyone is home before crashing through the window and slicing me to ribbons. I miss my apartment. I miss how small it was. I'm not a maximalist by any means. An apartment is three rooms with a bed where you store your body when you're not using it. I don't much care for all this space that the house affords me. I'll be beneath the covers, and then I'll hear something coming from the kitchen. The wind may have knocked one of the shutters loose, or a pot was placed precariously on a pile that decided it no longer wished to be upright. But that didn't stop me from picturing the stealthy burglar who had tripped up in the night. When I get to the kitchen, just to see some shifted cookware or a window that wasn't closed all the way, it brings me no comfort as I know the truth. The murderer just made a hasty retreat through the window after they realized they had alerted me to their presence. My dreams have been sporadic at best. Some nights I have the most vivid images, and other nights I wake up, my throat sore and my breathing heavy, as if I had been screaming for the past half hour. On nights like that, I don't usually remember my dreams. Other nights, the dreams are mostly the same. There's one I've had at least ten times now. I'm lying in bed, and I don't hear anything, but I know he's there. He's in the doorframe. His face and features are hidden in silhouette, but... He is tall and imposing. I can't run or scream. I try. Oh, I try to force my legs and arms to do anything, but while my brain screams at my limbs to do something, anything, they lie there like they themselves are asleep and refuse to give up their beautiful dream in exchange for my reality. The shadow man smiles and moves in small lurches towards the bed. His feet never move and his footfalls are silent, but still he creeps forward and until I feel the air he has displaced to make room for himself. He leans over at me and I see the slits of his eyes begin to creak open. A small white sliver in an ocean of black. 
The smile disappears from his face as what he does next is of vital importance to him. I can tell that he wants to hold my eyes open. He wants to grab my head and make me watch, but he does not. He doesn't touch me, and I don't move. That was part of our agreement. My eyes continue to open, and my vision is flooded with light. That is when I wake up. Sometimes my dream is ended much sooner when a random noise causes my flimsy grasp of sleep to come to a grinding halt. In the city, I was the deepest of sleepers. Here, my sleep is as deep as tissue paper. The neighbors seemed friendly enough. When my car pulled into the driveway on the first night, they walked the length of the driveway to meet me and greet me warmly. Bertrand had told me that he grew up on his pappy's farm, and when it came time to take the reins, he did so with relish. His wife, Tammy, brought over a pecan pie made with pecans they farmed themselves. I didn't offer too much information as I wasn't sure if I could fully trust these two people who suddenly know where I live. Bertrand, or Bert, as he insisted on being called, told me all manners of stories about my mom and what she did for the community. I was keenly aware of Tammy sulking around the living room, eyeing all the tchotchkes, no doubt casing the joint to see if there was anything worth stealing. I thanked them both for their hospitality and sent them on their way. As they walked down the dirt and pebble driveway, it looked like Tammy whispered something to Bert. I definitely didn't imagine it when Bert looked over his shoulder and glanced at me with just the side of his eyes. The big city isn't for everyone. It's easy to feel small and insignificant, which is just how I like it. There are cameras everywhere. I know I'm being watched and recorded at practically every hour of the day. In fact, I don't go to places where there isn't at least one security camera clearly visible. I'm happy being a face in a crowd. I don't like being alone. I know in the big city I'm being watched. So too are hundreds of other people. Here, I, I can't shake the feeling that I'm being watched. That there's nowhere to run. I feel like I've been plucked from the audience and forced on stage. And while I'm certain that there is one, I can't see them. But I know the audience is there. Mom slipped away from us in the early morning hours. I got the call from the hospital the minute her heart and brain began to rebel. I was wide awake. Sleep was never an option. A dozen people watched as I held her cold and heavy hand, each one waiting to see what I would do, looking for their opportunity to approach me and tell me they were sorry for my loss. It wasn't their fault. When I got back to the house, it was around 4 a.m., I had filled out some papers, and they told me to contact them with the name of a funeral home to send her. I drove up the dirt and pebble driveway, lit only by my headlights, two radiant beacons that shone spotlight on each neat and overgrown blade of grass. As I turned the one bend in the whole path, the spots illuminated the main player in my tragedy. The house stood. The house with wood siding and shutters sat there, mouth agape, as if it was shocked that I was home so soon. I was just as shocked to see it in that state. The door was open. So too was my brain to possibilities. Maybe. Just maybe, I told myself. I could have been in a rush to get to the hospital. That I had just left it open. Yes, that must have been it. I lied to myself. I tried to ignore the fact that many of the lights were on in the house. Instead, I inched towards the front door, and once I was past the threshold, I slammed the door behind me. I started flipping off the lights as I went. If there was a room still on, I would get to it in the morning. I made my way upstairs. 
My steps echoed through the hallway, and when I stopped walking, I could still hear the steps echoed back to me. I heard the sound of someone opening a drawer and shifting through some fabrics. They were already in the craft room. And when the chips are down, some people choose that moment to stand up, be brave, and fight. I instead chose flight. The attic, which had never housed more than Christmas decorations, was about to house me. I pulled on the string, and the stairs clattered to the floor. The shifting coming from the craft room stopped for a moment before the sound of footsteps grew louder. Whoever they were, they were coming right this way. I climbed up the stairs, pulling each rung up behind me as I climbed. I took a hold of the rope and tucked it up with me as I folded the stairs into their original position. Sand string. Now, unless you were looking for it, you could believe that there was no attic at all. Light streaked through the vents, and I was able to use them as a vantage point to watch as the intruder systematically went through every room of the house before leaving. But I stayed. And not just because you can't open the attic from the inside. You're not supposed to close them while you're in there. I stayed because I felt safe. I could see each and every piece of the house, and I knew that the house couldn't see me. I watched as Tammy and Bert checked on the house the next day to discover that no one was inside. I listened as the phone rang and the hospital morgue could no longer house her. I watched as a realtor led tours of my childhood home, and I watched as a bright young couple made plans to renovate and flip this old farmhouse. In the first few minutes of being in the attic, I found a hiding space, and the spiders had found me. I wanted to scream, but more than that, I wanted to stay hidden. I used to feel their little legs march their way up and down mine, but that feeling eventually went away, as did the desire and capacity to scream. I had no mouth, yet I didn't need to scream. I needed to watch. That's all I wanted, and soon that's all I was capable of doing. If I could have smiled, I would have, because I could finally open my eyes and see everything. A pair of eyes, floating, a member of the audience invisible. See? Don't you feel better, John? No. What was that? I said, of course I do, Jane. I love it here in this apartment in a barren white void. Good. Don't forget. You're here forever. Are you still there? Are you still listening? Huh. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our logo was designed by Sam Vitale, and our theme song was written by Charles Adam Robinson. Special thanks to our patrons, including Noel Sun, who contributed at the $5 level. For $1 a month, get access to all our bonus content, including the Common Area and our ongoing actual play miniseries, Need to Escape. For more information, check the links on the description below. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, stay and remember, nothing is real. <laughs>